Powerful and palatial. UltimateSportsTalk.com radio studios. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, welcoming you to the Ultimate Sports Talk show for this Thursday evening. And boy, have we got a show set up for you tonight. We have got a big guest coming your way this evening. David Magley, former Kansas All-American, former Cleveland Cavalier, former player under Phil Jackson in the CBA, back when Phil Jackson was younger. (laughs) And now he's a head coach of a professional basketball team north of the border, just outside of Toronto, the Brampton A's. And we're going to be talking with David Magley and reminiscing with him. I knew him years ago when he was drafted in the second round by the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to talk to him and catch up. He's going to let us know what's happening north of the border in basketball. He's also got a few ideas on Anthony Bennett and Tristan Thompson, who come from the same town that the Brampton A's play their basketball in. But you can catch up with us tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show simply by tuning in to the social media. You can email us at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also send us out a tweet at OHBB. Co-host, But like I said, there's a lot going on in the world of sports this week. Let's take a look at the headlines. Selection Sunday is going to be this Sunday for the NCAA tournament. And we're going to take a look at who could possibly be the number one seeds coming up in just a little bit. What team are the favorites in their conference tournaments this weekend? Well, the Ohio State Buckeyes are not a favorite for the Big Ten Conference Tournament, and they squeaked by this afternoon. We'll take a look at that game. Would the real Cleveland Cavaliers please stand up? And like I said, we'll be talking with David Magley a little bit about that and Phil Jackson coming up later on this evening. The NFL free agency period has begun, and the Browns have been extremely busy over the last couple of days. In baseball, Ryan Braun is back in the news, unfortunately. And Urban Santana has a new home. All that plus more on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. But first, while Dallas Stars forward Rich Peverly will not play again this season and will undergo a procedure aimed at regulating his heart rate. If you saw what happened on Monday night in the game between the Dallas Stars and the Columbus Blue Jackets, If you're as old as I am, you probably had flashbacks of what happened years ago when Hank Gathers collapsed for Loyola Marymount in their basketball game. It was just a month earlier from that that Gathers had actually collapsed on the floor prior to that, and they said that he had some heart problems. He fought his way back. And then in the first tournament game that Loyola Marymount played that year, he collapsed at midcourt after a dunk and died there on the floor. Well, when you saw Peverly collapse on the Stars bench Monday night, it brought that eerie reminiscence of what happened about 30 years ago. Well, Peverly was immediately treated by medical personnel in the tunnel that leads from the ice to the star's dressing room. Doctors on the scene said Peverly was treated for a cardiac event and that he was defibrillated successfully after one attempt. Lonnie Demoff, the Dallas Stars coach, says Peverly's heart was beating very fast and then stopped, but he thinks only for a few seconds, and it didn't take long for medical personnel and an unknown woman in a green Stars jersey who is believed to be a season ticket holder, jumped over the boards and got into the action to start CPR when she saw what was happening. Peverly made a brief appearance at a news conference yesterday and gave thanks to everyone who has helped him out. Peverly was released from UT Southwestern St. Paul Hospital on Wednesday night following two days of tests. His next step is to head to Cleveland for surgery, which was originally scheduled for the off-season. Dallas Stars President James Lights provides an update on Rich Peverly. This is obviously a very traumatic thing for all of us, um, no, none more so than the players and, and Lindy Ruff and our, and our coaching staff. 
our best wishes and prayers go out to Rich and his family. Um, it's a pretty tough event, and um, you can kind of uh, and and it's really a tribute to to uh, the National Hockey League and and our um, our great friends John Davidson and the Columbus Blue Jackets. That very quickly, um, it's a traumatic thing. Players don't want to play, and I don't blame them. But we'll all work together to do the right thing. And right now, all that matters is the care and well-being of Rich Peverly and his family and um, and our players and the Columbus Blue Jacket players. I want to thank John Davidson and his people for being as understanding as they've been and, and they are. You know, what's interesting is you always hear about coaches over-preparing, getting their team ready for any type of obstacle that can happen to them on the ice, the court, the field, whatever. Well, Stars coach Lonnie Demoff took this one step further. He said he and his team practiced responding to medical emergencies on the ice and were able to get Peverly from the bench to the tunnel in 14 seconds. You talk about preparing a team for anything. you got to give Demoff some credit here. The NHL mandates that games are staffed by doctors, emergency responders, a plastic surgeon, and a dentist. But for a coach to actually have his team prepare and practice, to take a teammate off the ice or off the bench into the tunnel or back near the locker rooms. That's just out of the ordinary. Peverly's recovery, according to doctors, will take at least a few months. Good luck going out to him. Here again, the conference basketball tournaments are underway. Boy, you can catch them just about on any channel you want to, whatever you want to see. And it all started earlier on Thursday with all of the conference basketball tournaments. And let's start right here around home with Ohio State. Do they have a shot at winning the national title? Only if you're drunk and on some drugs do you think Ohio State's got a shot at winning. And today, as number five seed in the Big Ten, and I was thinking earlier today when I'm looking at the brackets here at the Big Ten Conference Tournament, you know, this is a great setup for Ohio State. They're the number five seed. They're playing the number 12 seed, Purdue. Then they move in to play the number four seed if they win Nebraska tomorrow. And then they get Michigan, whom is the number one seed, but still, when you've got Ohio State playing Michigan, anything could happen. So what happened today? Well, Ohio State won over Purdue as expected. Just the margin of victory was not expected. 63-61, Ohio State really struggled today with the Boilermakers. You've got to give Purdue credit. They really played their guts out in this ball game, and they were hoping to move forward in the tournament. But they're done. So now Ohio State plays Nebraska on Friday afternoon after Michigan plays upset-minded Illinois. Illinois already beat Indiana on Thursday in Game 1 of the Big Ten Tournament. But back to Ohio State, their problem is they have absolutely no shooting, no consistent shooting. Last year they had Deshaun Thomas. He could hit a jumper, and if they were in a lull offensively, They'd get him the ball, and he'd pull them out of it somehow, some way. This team does not have anybody that they can depend on to hit a three-point shot, and they've got nobody down low that can put the ball in the basket. Aaron Kraft has really been a disappointment in the, his last Big Ten season. Yes, he's still getting the steals. Yes, he still plays good defense. But offensively, I don't know how you can play so much basketball like Kraft has done throughout his lifetime and still have a shot like he does. He cannot shoot the basketball. That will be his downfall when it comes to the NBA. Amir Williams was expected to have a big year for the Buckeyes this year in the middle, and he's just turned out to be a thug. He almost got another flagrant foul today against Purdue. LaQuinton Ross was expected to take over for Thomas at that shooting forward position. It hasn't happened. And he's had a tough time, although today in the second half, he did pick things up. But that's what happens with the Buckeyes. This proves my point explicitly. When they get somebody that they can depend on to score throughout a ball game, they win. 
But when they struggle trying to find that person, they lose, and that's been the way. Sam Thompson also has been a disappointment this year. He's had a couple of outstanding games, but he is expected to be the star that this team wanted to hang its hat on this year, and it hasn't happened. Really, I'm taking a look at the conference basketball tournaments this year and saying in the Big Ten, I think the championship game is going to come down between Michigan and Wisconsin on Sunday. Moving over to the ACC, boy, you you look at these games here, and I think Virginia is going to go up against Duke in the finals in the ACC tournament on Sunday. Now, in the Big East tournament, which is really watered down since all the teams left the Big East and, and went elsewhere, I'm looking, I was looking at Villanova at winning, but Villanova lost to Seton Hall today on a last second shot. So I'm going to pick Creighton to win the Big East tournament and go up against Seton Hall in the championship game. In the new American Athletic Conference, and talk about a complete alphabetical debacle here, you've got the ACC which has some of the old Big East teams, and the AAC, which has some of the old Big East teams. Nonetheless, I look at the championship game on Saturday as having Cincinnati, probably one of the most defensive-minded teams in college basketball today, against Louisville, probably one of the most complete teams in college basketball today. In the SEC tournament, that championship game is going to be on Sunday I'm taking Florida to take on Georgia. I think Georgia's going to beat Kentucky in the semifinals. And in the Big 12, I've got to say, Kansas, who escaped with a win this afternoon over Oklahoma State, I think they're going to go up against another Oklahoma team. They're going to take on the Sooners in the championship game. That's the way I'm looking at the conference tournaments. Now, Selection Sunday is coming up this Sunday. I'm looking at the top four seeds. And they always rank them, one through four. I think Wichita State, unbeaten, 33-0 and going into the tournament. I think they deserve the top seed, number one on the line. Wichita State, I've got them as the top number one seed. Number two is Florida. Even though Florida is the top team in the AP rankings, I've got Florida, the number two seed, number one. Number three, Arizona. Number four, Virginia. And at Arizona put on a show this afternoon. Now, if one of those teams falls, now, Wichita State is done. They're not going to fall. But if Florida, Arizona, or Virginia fall, I think the only one that really is going to fall is Virginia. And that would mean that either Duke or Syracuse would have beaten them. So Duke or Syracuse would probably move into that other number four, number one seed right there. I did have Villanova as the top number two seed, but I think they're going to fall out now since they fell to Seton Hall on that last second shot. Well, like I said last week, this is my NBA theme. It may not be the current theme, but this is my NBA theme. And let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the NBA before we get into college basketball. And you've got to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. This team is a Jekyll and Hyde team. They won in Phoenix last night. Nobody thought they had a chance. They were eight-point underdogs going into the game against the Suns last night. The Suns are in a fight for a playoff berth. They're an up-and-coming team. The Cavaliers, yes, they're improved. Yes, they're young. But are they going to make the playoffs? Probably not. And they go out and they beat Phoenix last night in Arizona, probably in front of the Cleveland Indians, who are out in Goodyear at spring training. Maybe a bunch of the Indians made the trek just about 20 miles to the west from Goodyear is Phoenix. They probably got in there and saw the Cavaliers play last night. But Z's jersey was retired last Saturday night, and the most interesting thing happened. There were some rumors that LeBron James was going to be there. He was. He was also supposed to be the keynote speaker, but at the last moment, 
they decided that probably wasn't such a good idea, so they turned everything over to Wayne Embry, who actually drafted Zadrunas Ilgauskas so many years ago. But what's going on with LeBron James right now? Ever since he left Cleveland, he's not played good basketball. The very next day, he had an off game against the Chicago Bulls in Chicago. And then two nights later, the Miami Heat played Brooklyn. And they lost to Brooklyn in that game by one point. LeBron James seems to be playing like a Cleveland Cavalier again, only he's in a Miami Heat uniform. We'll have to keep an eye on that and see what happens with the King. Phil Jackson has officially agreed to become the Knicks' president of basketball operations, according to multiple reports. After 11 world titles with the Bulls and Lakers, Jackson goes back to where his career began, the Knicks, where he won two titles in the 1970s. Jackson was wooed back to the team by his longtime teammate Bill Bradley, whom Jackson once helped make a United States senator in New Jersey. Now, can Jackson take a team that has been in the doldrums for years and make it a winner once again? For that, we go to Ken Berger, who discusses the impact of Phil Jackson heading back to New York and what the move could mean for Carmelo Anthony's future with the Knicks. I think the allure uh, was, first of all, his affinity for the Knicks franchise. He won two championships as a player with the Knicks, and that was, of course, the last time they won a championship. Right. And we can't discount money. Uh, we don't know at this point how much money it's going to be, but I think we can safely assume it's going to be a lot of money. The Knicks are desperate. Madison Square Garden needs another savior. They need to put a happy face on what has been a very disappointing season for this franchise and give the fan base and the season ticket holders and, frankly, Carmelo Anthony hope that there is a future. But it's going to be a very difficult job for Phil, one that he's never done before at this, uh, you know, at this level. And, you know, he, he knows a little bit about building a winning culture and building a winning franchise and, and how to put that together. He won 11 championships as a coach. You don't do that without knowing how to be a winner. But it's an entirely different story when you're running a team. And, and the question I have is how involved is he going to be day to day? You can't do this job right and you can't do it well in the NBA unless you live it every day. Hmm. And is that what Phil's going to do is my question. Phil has never been about a long-term building process. He's been about going into a situation which was championship caliber and taking it to the finish line. He's a great closer. But the Knicks are not in the position of needing a great closer. They need a beginning. They need to start over. And that's what Donnie Walsh was handed when he came in to replace Isaiah Thomas in 2008. He blew it up and start, started again. And then that's what the Knicks need to do at this point. They have never been willing to commit to the long term, to the long view, to the building process, putting one piece on top of another, acquiring assets. They have been about squandering assets. So Phil Jackson walks into a situation with, with no first-round pick this year. It goes to Denver from the Carmelo Anthony trade. Uh, and he goes into it with a, with a roster and a, and a payroll with very little, if any, flexibility to it. Well, it doesn't take Einstein to figure out what is behind this move for Phil Jackson. He could stay in Montana and stay retired with Jeannie Buss and just live out the rest of his days. He's got the 11 world championships on his fingers, and he's got two from his playing days. But what Phil is upset about is the fact that he was passed over for the Lakers' job a year ago when they fired Mike Brown and hired Mark Dan, uh, Mike D'Antoni. That's what Phil is upset about. And where better to get back to the at the Los Angeles Lakers than in New York with the Knicks? It is a perfect scenario for Phil Jackson to take that knife and just twist it into Jim Buss just a little bit more. Three weeks ago, we were able to speak with Jennifer Gabu, who is a former All-American tennis player at Florida University and also is the author of a new book available on Amazon right now called Division One, about a female student. It's a novel 
going to a Division One university and the trials and tribulations that happened there. Well, in speaking with Jennifer, I was able to find out that her father is former Kansas All-American and Cleveland Cavalier David Magley from years ago. And when I was working at a radio station down in Ashland, Ohio, I was able to cover the Cavaliers at the time. And I was actually at the press conference where David Magley was introduced as the Cavaliers' number two pick in the 1982 draft, along with John Bagley out of Boston College, who was the number one pick. And at that time, they were known as the Bagley-Magley duo. Well, I had an opportunity to catch up with David Magley, who's coaching basketball north of the border in Canada, in Brampton, which is a suburb of Toronto, with the National Basketball League of Canada, and he's got his team in the playoffs. The A's are up 2-1 to one over London in their quarterfinals of the Basketball League. They're an expansion team. We want to welcome to our microphones David Magley, former NBA player, former Kansas star, and now the head coach and general manager of the National Basketball League in Canada's Brampton A's, who are in the playoffs right now and up 2-1 to one over the London Lightning. David, it's been a long time. How are you? And thanks for joining us tonight. You know what, Dave? I'm doing. I'm doing fantastic. I. Um, um, it's funny how life works. That you're. Uh, that that we would meet back up from a from a press conference 35 years ago. That we'd be talking again about uh, about basketball. And I've been in and out of the game since then. So to be back in it and 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 enjoying it and having fun and, and being able to talk to you, that we're both kind of standing is a good thing. Honestly, David, you know, when I talked with uh, your daughter, Jennifer Gabu, about her, her book, Division One a couple of weeks ago, and she uh, disclosed to me, and I saw it on her biography, that she was your daughter, I was shocked. It's really a small world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the most shocking thing is for the longest time I was known as, as you know, David Magley, Mr. Basketball in Indiana, or Kansas player, or Cleveland Cavalier, or whatever. Now, for the last you know thirty years, my name's been David Magley, father of Jennifer, father of Jessica, father of David Jr., father of Daniel, and, and husband of Evelyn. Because all of them have been more significantly successful than my little basketball stuff. Well, let's get into your team right now, the Brampton A's, which is located. Tell me, how far away from Toronto is Brampton? Well, Brampton's considered in the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area, so. You know, Toronto is is a fairly massive city, but then when you start counting the suburbs, there's Toronto. The next suburb to the west is Mississauga, which is over a million people, and they have a team. And then the next suburb next to them is Brampton. Mississauga is where the airport is in Toronto, if you ever fly in. So, you know, it's it's probably um, on on a good day of traffic, ten minutes from downtown Toronto. Uh, on a bad day, it's it's two hours from downtown Toronto, uh, and it's uh it's it's a it's an amazing community because of the diversity you know us us Americans south of the border we think Canadian is the great white north that everybody skates to works and and they and then they get into their snowmobiles and go around through their igloos when in reality uh Brampton is one of the most racially diverse markets in the world there's seventy percent non white with half of them being from the South Asia with Pakistan and, 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 and India being a large population. And then there's a large Jamaican and Filipino population. So you have this very unique, diverse market that uh, didn't grow up on skates that you can teach a game other than soccer to, I mean, other than hockey to. And it's just kind of a perfect fit for what we're trying to accomplish. We're talking with David Magley, coach and general manager of the Brampton A's up in the National Basketball League in Canada. David, tell us about this league and, and just how it would coordinate. I mean, years ago you played in the CBA, and now there's the, the developmental league for the NBA this year. How would that league that you're in now compare to those two leagues? Uh, similar salary caps. Uh, our, our better franchises, our best franchise for that, the, the, the London Lightning, they'll outdraw any D-league team right now. They're, they're uh, outside of the NBA. They're the largest drawing team in North America for professional basketball. It's it's a fair comparison to compare it to a to a D League. I think the D League, because of the nature of being a pipeline back into the NBA, gets better talent, but not a lot better talent because 
unlike the European leagues where you're only allowed to bring in two to three foreign players, we're allowed to have up to nine foreign players. So we have a very fast-paced league that's full of talented Americans and very good Canadians. Um, because of the salary cap, some of the better Canadians are, you know, some of the better Canadians play for the Cavaliers. Uh, some of the better Canadians play all over the world. So the, the, just the sheer number of people that play basketball in the States, when you look at what we can pay, is just significantly larger than the Canadians. So we end up with the best Canadians play all over the world, the next level we're getting, um, and then, and then we get some very, very talented Americans to compliment it. We've got kids on my, on my team that have played at UConn and Tulsa and, and um, you know Western Michigan and Lehigh, we have a kid that played against Duke when they beat him in the, in the playoffs, and you know, we've got a really high quality level of play, and it's very very fast because unlike the NBA, we don't have the great bigs, we don't have the great seven footers, we don't have the great six ten, so it's just a little quicker league because all of our bigs are you know more like mid majors versus the high major D ones. You know these guys get out and run because it's a very fast league. Well, from what you told me before we went on air, David, you guys are an expansion team. Tell me, how many teams do you have in this league? And you've you got to be happy with the way that this thing then has really gone about being an expansion team and you're in the playoffs. Well, well we're, we're, we're thrilled. We ended up finished second out of, out of ninth, and we were first most of the year and, and um, out of nine teams. Um, we are, uh, you know, it, it's, it's divided into, into two divisions. The central division, which is ours, is all Ontario which is we have five teams in this division, and then there's four in the eastern Maritimes area, which is, uh, you know, out on, on the eastern seaboard here. Um, those teams draw very, very well as well because they're, they're smaller towns, and it's kind of the only game in town besides the, the local hockey team. So it, it, they do pretty good. We do compete with, with greater Toronto area for, for, you know, just entertainment value. So there's a lot of things you can do when you're in the GTA. So it's a little bit harder to draw the fans, but... The fans we get are incredible because they're coming out of our community. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is connected to our community. Uh, um, Anthony Bennett is from Brampton. Um, Tristan Thompson is from Brampton. Um, you know, you look at these better players from uh, Tyler Enos, the really good player that's at Syracuse right now, is a Brampton kid. So you just have a uh, – there's more Division One basketball players coming from Toronto than New York City right now. So basketball as a, as a groundswell is booming in this area and across the entire country. There's more people that play basketball than play hockey. Now, that's a little misleading partly because hockey is such an expensive sport to play as a youth. So, you know, but it's, it, it means that we're growing the sport fast here in Canada. You're up two to one over London in the playoffs. Best of five series. Winner goes to the championship series in about a week. Are you, Tell me about this series and how it's going for you. Well, winner goes to the to the conference finals, and then there's a best of seven conference, and then we go to the championship after that. Uh, okay. The, it's you know we're, the, I'm going against Michael Ray Richardson as the head coach of the other team, and let me tell you something. He is a fireball. <laughs> he is <laughs> he is an energetic guy that they he gets him to really defend, and his personality is really big. I I, I love Michael, and and it's um. You know, it's interesting. Our, our league's full of division of, of NBA coach of NBA players that are coaches. Craig Hodges is a coach for the Halifax team. Is still in it. Uh, Jaron Jackson is, is a coach for the Ottawa team. Bill Jones, who played for the Nets, is, is a coach of the Windsor team. So it's full of former NBA guys that are coaching. And Michael Ray's won back-to-back series. You know, the league's three years old, and he's won the first two. So he's got the best franchise, and he's a great coach. So it's pretty fiery. We're different. We're a different team because um, pro basketball at any level has become a high pick-and-roll offense. You know, everybody does a lot of individual stuff, a lot of pick-and-roll. Guards maintain the ball a lot. In our style of play, it's a little different because I needed to come off of a pick to catch and shoot. I try to run everything the way I would have wanted to play. So I try to find guys that have high basketball acumen. they got to have high character, and they got to be willing to move without the ball. And and if they'll do that, you know, we we um, we we lead the league in scoring. Uh, we lead the league in three points attempted, three points made. Uh, we, we, it's a different style of play than, than most professional basketball, but it's fun when it works. When it doesn't, I don't look like much of a genius. But when it does, it looks like I might know what I'm doing. <laughs> 
Okay, let me talk to you about a couple of your players, Cavell Johnson and Cedric Moody. Tell me about those two players. Well, they're 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 guys that 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 personally I'm I'm really honored to coach because they've never had the years they're having this year. Uh, Cabell played last year, and pretty much everything was about half of what it is this year: half the minutes, half the half the points, half the blocks. And he set a record for block shots this year. He's six nine with a seven one wingspan, and he's just raw. He's really learning how to play, really learning how to how to compete. Uh, he's a great kid, great leader. Uh, he's older. I mean, he started it. He didn't turn pro till he was 28. He was he got in a job uh, working in D.C. when he came out of school, and he was not going to play. And then one of his friends became the head coach of another team in this league last year, and he played his first game, first you know pro last year. And so he's a relatively older, inexperienced guy that's just learning learning this style of play, and he's he's gotten really really good. And and he, he's fun to watch because he is so doggone long and athletic. So he's in most of our highlight tapes for the dunks and running the court. And you know he's a, he's one of those guys I told you about that that makes this league so fast because as a big he can really get out and go. Moody, on the other hand, Cedric is is um, he made a movie of the day and said, you know, we, he made us watch it over on tape and said, see, that's what Kyrie Irving does. And I made the comment, it's more like what Uncle Drew would do. Because Moody's 35 years old, and he is uh, he is a fascinating young man. He's a Ball State player that's from Indiana. Was raised in my brother's ministry. My brother has a gym called Heroes Camp in South Bend, and Seth comes out of that. And and we had said for my brother's had him since he was 12 years old, and now he's 35. And I watch him grow and mature. And to the to the league, he's kind of looked like a higher gun. He's he played a half a season his first year, the first year of the league, and then he went to go play in, in Argentina. And then last year he didn't play the first half of the year. <clears throat> Halifax picked him up, and, <clears throat> and they all looked at him as like a, you know, a Jason Terry or a, you know, a, a Vinnie Johnson that could go in and put up some numbers. And in our system, he's been a starter and a player the whole year, and he plays the most minutes. He leads our team in scoring, rebounding, assists, steals, turnovers. Good attitude, bad attitude. He leads us in everything. And um, when 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 Seth's in a good place, he's pretty darn amazing. And he's one of these guys that you go, man. If I could have had him at 25, I guarantee you, I'm getting him in the NBA because he's that good. He, he can generate a point. He's, he's the one guy that breaks our system and can generate buckets. So if you're struggling, the system isn't flowing. We're not getting the ball side to side. You put the ball in Moody's hand, and he can generate a bucket pretty darn quick. You've got one more player that I need to ask you about, considering this is the area that we're in, Cleveland. Uh, you've got a guy from Cleveland State on there, Kevin Francis. Tell us about him. Kevin's amazing. Kevin is is is. Uh, I I I looked at uh, the definition of a, of a of a of a core player today. I get these different emails, and and the core player that that you build your team around, and and, and the definition said will take charges, impacts the team without the ball. Does uh, is always has a good attitude even on the bench and it's just like twelve things and I and then literally it's, it's Kevin I mean Kevin is uh, Kevin had a baby on Saturday at two o'clock in the morning and at seven o'clock at night he was probably my best player in the game to, to beat London last game he's just a guy that that you can bank on he's he's mature he's there he might give you twenty six he might give you three and it doesn't matter because he's going to impact the game the same way. He's, he, you can put him on the best defender, and he's thin. I mean, Kevin is fortunate at six eight to weigh a buck eighty five. I mean, he's just really, really thin, but he's really strong. He's really athletic. He he's just a kid that that's a winner, and I'm I'm really fortunate to have him. He's he's a tough kid, and he's from Canada. He's from Brampton, so you know he's a, he's a Canadian. That um, my Canadians play a lot. I mean, I, I start three Canadians, and and. And they're really good. But the rest of the league doesn't necessarily use as many Canadians as I do. But I've gotten really good players. And, you know, you don't think of them as Canadians. You just think of them as players. And, and he's really good. David, you told me before we went on the air that you're also the head of the Brampton Basketball Academy. What is that and how does that work? Well, it's not. It's actually called the Athlete Institute. Uh, the Athlete Institute, and in, 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 it's in Orangeville. We live in Orangeville. Our, our guys live here. We train here at the Athlete Institute. And, and the Athlete Institute is um, kind of like an IMG academy in, in Bradenton, Florida. It's the only academy of its type in Canada 
where we actually have a high school team and a prep school team. I've got two amazing coaches that coach those guys. We've got guys from all over North America, mostly Canadian, that come here. And, and the thought was, when you see all these Division One guys, they always leave Canada to go to prep school at Finley Prep and Huntington Prep and you know St. Benedict's and all these different schools throughout North America, throughout the U.S. Why not have an academy here? So we started our own academy. We house the young men. We have a former um, motel that we um, have converted into a dormitory for these high school and prep school team with 24 beds that the guys can stay on right on a river about 10 minutes from our gym. And then we have our facilities. We have Ontario's largest CrossFit facility on our premise. We have a 50-yard uh, dome that you can um, that's got uh, uh, astroturf that we can train in. We've got a, a dining hall on our on our on our premise. We've got a um, full medical facilities so our guys can get treatment and therapy from therapists and chiropractors and people that work for our pros and our high school and our prep school team. And then with this talent that we've generated, we travel. Uh, our prep school team just came back from Florida and Canada. I mean, Florida and California, that they play tournaments. Our high school team has played tournaments all over North America already. Uh, we probably have the best high school player in Canada uh, that plays for a high school team, a guy named Jamal Murray, that is probably a one and doneer when he goes to college. Uh, so we're we're just trying to kind of become all things to to to, to, to basketball to Canada. We want to be a training environment for the Canada basketball program, which we work with their seventh and eighth grade uh, national team trains at our place. And, you know, they're just trying to create this this hub for basketball. And I'm fortunate enough to be involved with helping find the coaches and, you know, helping the, the young men get their scholarships and work with university-level schools to try to find them. And it's been a great – we're really good at training young men and getting better. And their vertical jumps improve, their body fat go down, their – you know, just all the stuff that, that 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 you get measured on at the next level, we're helping them get better at. You know, you brought up a couple of players earlier from Canada that are on the Cavaliers. Tristan Thompson, I just love his game, David. I think he's going to be an outstanding pro going forward. He, he's a double-double machine every night. Anthony Bennett has been somewhat of a disappointment, although you can see the talent that Chris Grant thought he had when he made him the number one draft pick last year. Did you have an opportunity to see him, and what are your thoughts about Bennett? You know, I, honestly, I, I, I don't know him prior to him going to the Cavs. Uh, I, I met him this summer because, uh, again, these guys are all from Brampton, and I met him doing things. And, and the, the, all those guys come out of the same AAU program. It's a, it's a program called CIA Bounce. So Thompson and Wiggins and Tyler Enos and, and and and, uh, and 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 Anthony Bennett are all from that program, so and we have seven or eight of their kids in our high school prep school. So now we know those guys quite a bit. We think they'll train with us some this summer, and you know, do we're working closely with those folks. Looking at looking at Bennett play, you know, I, I can I can feel for him because it's it's like I was part of the Bagley Magley duo that went to Cleveland, which was just a bad marketing campaign, and. I sometimes think I only got drafted because my name's Ryan Bagley because I didn't get to play much. And it's funny, if you look over the years, the writers haven't been very kind to me in my pro career because they like, remember the great mistakes Cleveland made? Remember when they drafted Bagley Magley? And, you know, you, you, you realize it's, it's, it's kind of tough when you're in that role. I think he's got so much hype on him, being a number one pick, being the first Canadian pick. But But you're right, you do see these glimpses that you go, Okay, as he calms down, as he settles down, as he gets in the kind of NBA shape and NBA uh, playing level, he's going to be just fine. And I think he's one of these guys that two, three years in, you're going to go, wow, this guy's an, an, an all-star, and he's gotten really, really good. Didn't start off like we thought he would, but you know, if, if he if he has good habits and he's the kind of person that I, that I hear he is, uh, he's going to stay the course, and Cleveland's going to be glad that, that they drafted him where they drafted him, and I think he'll be just fine. David, you were Mr. Basketball in Indiana, and I know growing up in Northwest Ohio and being as close to Indiana as I am, that is about the biggest honor you can get in the state of Indiana, even more so than I think being governor of the state. How did you go to Kansas, being Mr. Basketball out of Indiana, and not go to the Hoosiers, Purdue, or even coming from South Bend going to Notre Dame? Well, um, 
Notre Dame didn't have uh, really any room. They had an amazing freshman class my senior year in high school. They had Kelly Trapuca, Tracy Jackson, Orlando Woolridge, all guys played in the NBA. They had a 6'11 kid from San Antonio named Gilberto Salinas that was really good. And a guy that's the athletic director at, at, um, at Florida State now named Stan Wilcox. And they were just really, really good. And so they didn't really need another guy right behind them in the next class. Purdue was going through a coaching change. Uh, Lee Rose was coming in, and he didn't come in until the very end. And back then, you didn't sign till the very end, but it was kind of not fair. Like Michigan a lot. And then I didn't have a good relationship with Coach Knight. I mean, he he came into my home, and I, he actually came into my high school, and, and it, it, that experience didn't go very well. And uh, I asked a question I probably shouldn't have, and he kind of shared his opinion of me, which wasn't very pleasant. <laughs> so <laughs> it was not like there was a lot of choices for me to stay at, at a high major in, 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 in Indiana. And then um, and I went up to Kansas, and quite frankly, I liked Kansas, but I met this smoking hot girl on my recruiting trip, and you know she was just really pretty, and and said she's really strong faith. And my mom was sick of cancer and was dying, and I was trying to use that as a chance to say, you know, I hadn't had any physical affection in years. Trying to get next to her, and you know, she told me she had some Indian in her. I lied to her. I told her I was half Cherokee, and she invited me up to her room, and I'm thinking this is going to be incredible. She opened the Bible and started giving me verses to take back to my minority people because I'm Indian, which I wasn't. She gave me verses to take back to my poor dying mom. And I got done with that, and I flew home, and my brother said, how'd you like Kansas? I said, I don't know if I'm going to school there, but I know I found my wife. And, you know, 35 years later, I've been married to her for 32 years, and meeting my wife on my recruiting trip was kind of a way to cheat, and Kansas got me to go there because I was in love with this girl. <laughs> I was going to hope – I was hoping you were going to say – you met your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otherwise, like, don't please, let your wife listen to this interview. Because he's going down the road. Nope, I met, I met my wife, and, and quite frankly, uh, that's the greatest thing that I got from the University of Kansas. I got a great degree, got a part of a great tradition, but uh, I got my best friend and, 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 and the mother of my amazing children, and, and I, I, I couldn't be happier with, with what I got off, off Kansas. David, just a couple more questions. After your NBA career, you – you bounced around to two or three different teams in the CBA, and you played for a little-known coach at the time who has become one of the bigger names in the NBA, especially this week, Phil Jackson. I guess, first of all, what was it like playing under a young Phil Jackson? Well, I played for Phil in Albany, which is, you can imagine, Phil's a hippie. So Phil lived at Woodstock, literally, and he lived where Woodstock was. Uh, he wore tie-dye clothes all the time, and he was just—he was just—he uh, was a different bird. I mean, he was really smart, really intellectual. Uh, we we could talk. I'm, I'm I'm a strong Christian. His father was a Pentecostal minister, and you know, he had made up his own faith of the Zen Buddhist Christian, which I'd never heard of before. And we'd sit and talk for hours about you know the, the origins of life, um, but strategically. I find myself doing a lot of things he did. Uh, Phil, Phil was a believer in, 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 in playing shorter segments and, 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 and using your entire roster. So, you know, we had 10 guys and, and Phil would play, you know, start, the starting five would play and, and, you know, in an average of a 48 minute game, they're going to play 26 to 30 minutes. And, you know, no matter what you did, you probably weren't getting pulled out for a mistake and you're going to play your, four to six minute stretch and then the next group's going to come in not platooning because he wouldn't sub us all at once but it was really rotations that were a little bit tighter and i do a lot of the same things he does i mean that's something that my guys have to buy into is that, that we're going to have shorter rotations because i want you to be more fresh and you'll you'll play maybe the same minutes you played before but they're going to be not all at once so that you know there's a wouldn't often believe that that you could no one could play more than four minutes at a time as hard as they could so you know at 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 five, six minutes, they're starting to get tired, so you, so you rotate them. I think that's one of the reasons why a kid like Cedric Moody can do so well. I, I never have him play 12 minutes at one time. He only plays shorter rotations. And that was, that was a field deal. Now, obviously that changed when he started coaching guys like Michael and Scotty. But at our level in the CBA, he was, he was pretty darn effective with it. And we won a championship. And, you know, it was, he was, he's, he's a pretty bright guy. I've got to give him his due. Obviously, he's, he's been a great coach, but, you know, I, I think I learned a lot as a coach from him. I probably didn't handle uh, 
not playing as much at times. We were, I was a starter and one of the leading scorers and rebounders on the team. And my oldest daughter, Jennifer, was born. And, you know, he called me in the delivery room and said, Maggie's got to get back. I just brought in a new small forward to take your place, and I'm going to make you a power forward. So Rudy Macklin had just gotten cut by the Knicks, so he picked him up and moved me to back a power forward and probably didn't handle that as well as I should have because I was, you know, 23 years old with my first child, and I really didn't want to, wouldn't want to be there anymore because it was not the same position I'd been in. So it kind of helps me have grace for my guys when they when they struggle with different coaching decisions I make. Now, reportedly, he's going to take over the New York Knicks as team president and try to orchestrate the comeback of the Knicks. Do you think he's the type of guy that can handle something like that? You know, he's, he's, if, if he finds the right people to, 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 to understand that, that, that they get it, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, he, he, Phil's a leader that's got to have followers. I mean, and and if you put him in and he doesn't have the right coaches and the right scouts and everybody's not putting the right thing together, you know, I mean, you look at his staff. His staff over the years followed him. They went from Chicago to to um, to L.A., and, and they were, you know, they, they were believers in what he taught. And some of it was what Tex brought, Winters brought, but Collins and, and Winters and these guys, they, they went with him everywhere he went because he, he needs guys that buys in. It's, it's going to be different. And they got to buy, and then he's got to find talent that, that wants to do that. He's got to find talent, and he'll challenge him, and he'll publicly embarrass them like he does, like he did with Kobe and Michael and Shaq, and tell them that they're not doing right and make them want to do right. If you got guys mature enough, if, 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 you know, Carmelo can handle that, then he'll be the right guy to, to help lead him back, and he'll put it together and they'll get it. I would be surprised if he doesn't end up on the bench once the team works, but then, I thought Riley was going to be on the bench when he when he got the guys he got and he never did so, you know we'll, we'll see what he does but I yeah I, I think he could be great but it's, it's it can't be the 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 Knicks that are that are turning coaches every every few months or every few years and and and, and they're just changing as much as they change they've got to give them a little bit of time to build and I think it could be pretty cool. David Magley, our guest. David, do you ever have any aspirations of going further in your coaching career? Yeah, I, I would I would love to to to, to coach at another level, uh, but I'm grateful to be at this level. Uh, you know, I'm a high school coach. I coached high school basketball for 11 years, we had a lot of great success, a lot of fun, and I, and I never thought I was going to coach that. I was I was playing just because I loved to play till I was 40, not for a living, just you know, still running around leagues and stuff, and then couldn't play anymore. My kids were at a small private Christian school, and the coaching job became available, and. I coached there for 11 years and, and never thought I'd coach again. And then one of my players, Jamison Tipping, who was a very good high school player, very good college player, his father owns all this. And his dad said, hey, would you come up and help me put this together? And that kind of led me into back into basketball. And, and, and I'm having a ton of fun. And, and I don't know, at 54 years old, if there's a whole lot of people going, I really want you to come coach with me. Now, having said that, Randy Whitman is doing a pretty good job. He's on my high school all-star team. And, and you know he's with 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 Washington now, and you never know. I, I've got friends that are still around the NBA, and if somebody called, I'd sure consider it. But I got to be realistic. They like the young, hot guys that are coming up, and you know, guys like me just need to be grateful that we're working in basketball and, and you know do the best we can right where we're at. David, we know about Jennifer, uh, your daughter. Tell me about your other kids. So Jennifer was a was a was a all American, you know, national champion tennis player. Jessica was is the third leading scorer and rebounder in history of high school basketball for girls in in, in the state of Florida. Uh and she went on to play at Rhode Island two years and then finish at Western Kentucky. Both girls graduated under undergraduate degrees in three and a half years. Jessica would go on to get her masters in five. And she she lives in Indianapolis as well. Uh, she's doing great. They're both six foot beauties that look like their mom. And, you know, none of my kids look like me. It's one of the great blessings in life. Um, <laughs> and then, um, DJ, my oldest son, is 6'10, 270, 280. He started his, his college career at Western Kentucky where he played with Courtney Lee and Jeremy Evans. And they went to a couple of NCAA tournaments and he played a lot in those, on those teams. And because of coaching changes and style of play, he transferred to Tulsa. And, had a good career at Tulsa where he, where he started most of the time for two years there. And, um, you know, he, he got done playing and just didn't want to play after college. He, had, he, had, he, had, he was married and has a beautiful wife and decided he was going to just be 
uh, home with her, and, and he's doing great, and they're they're happy. And you know, you, you hope that people use basketball uh, in any sport as a tool. And all three of my older kids have graduated from great institutions, and they've used basketball to help the next or, or athletics to do the next part of their life. And then my youngest son Daniel is is uh, is you know six one, very athletic. Uh, went to one D2 when he first came out of high school at Southwest Baptist in Missouri. Redshirted there for a year because the coach's son had just transferred in from Utah, so he's going to kind of put a little distance between them. Decided he really wanted to play someplace else. We went to JUCO for a year in Kansas and started most of the year and, and graduated. And without any great offers, some, some Division two and NAIs were knocking on the door. We thought, why not take a year off and train? So he came up here to, to our Athlete Institute, and he's been basically training with our pros and our top preps and going through the strength and conditioning that, that we're good, improving his vertical jump, getting better at his handles. And now we're just looking for the right home for him. He'll have three years left as a Division two or an NAIA player or two as a Division one player. And very smart, good leader. He's an RA in the junior college and a and a, you know, he's a 3-0-plus he's a, he's a student. All, all my kids did real well, real well academically. And, and I'm just, you know, he's he's been a blast to have up here with my wife and I, and he he lives with the pros and one of the pro houses, and he's he's having fun, and so it's just been great. You know, we've we've been fortunate to have four kids that are all uh, fairly successful athletes that um, get, did well academically. They all play musical instruments too, because my wife was a is, is a musician and a music teacher. So in a small Christian school, you better do everything. So they all played in the band and the orchestra and sang in the choir and did all that kind of stuff. David, one final question. You've brought it up several times here, and I want to give you a chance to expound. Your faith is very important to you. You know, it, 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 I, I appreciate you saying that. The, the, when I played for Cleveland, we were called the cadavers because we played like stiffs. We were really, really bad, and I was probably the worst player on a really bad team. Um, and but I was, but I was, I was doing pretty good. I mean, I was getting better. Uh, muscle they drafted me, and the hockey took over. And, you know, Mus saw me as a as a two three, and which I thought was visionary because at the time there weren't many white two threes, uh, and there was um, the Nasaki saw me as a four because if you were six eight and you were white, you were going to be Mark Ivoroni or you were going to be Kurt Rambis, and that's what you had to be. Um, and it's you know it's, it's just what stereotypes were like. That was back when they didn't believe that blacks were smart enough to be quarterbacks, and that you know Doug Williams and a whole bunch of great black quarterbacks proved that wrong. But that's just how stereotypes changed, and and Europeans came to the NBA, and that it, it proved that you could play your natural position at that color because they were just as athletic. They've got the same DNA I have, and you know there's no reason why Deltlift Shrimp can play small forward at six nine, and I couldn't have done it at six eight. But while I was at Cleveland, they asked me to go on the injured list because um, they they actually saw, saw me as a two guard, and they could develop me, and but I wasn't hurt. And so at the time you had to, you had to you had to fake an injury you had to um, you had to sign an affidavit saying you were hurt when you weren't and that's how you expand your roster because you were only allowed to keep twelve but there were always three guys walking around that that really weren't hurt they were just faking it and when he told me that he said he guaranteed next year's contract which was you know a significant amount of money for me it was one hundred and twenty five hundred and fifty thousand dollars which was a lot of money back then for me and I said to them what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul and they said, what does that mean? I said, well, I guess it means I can't compromise just for money or fame or opportunity. If you don't think I'm good enough, you got to get rid of me. But I can't lie or cheat just for basketball or anything else. Well, then he got angry. Instead of guaranteeing next year's contract, he said, if you don't do this, you'll never play again. And I looked at that as, as probably the greatest blessing in my life because I didn't think I had the courage to stand up for my faith, to stand up for what was right. And I look at that, and you know what? He was right. I never played another game in the NBA. But I'm one of the few guys I know that played any games in the NBA that's been married for 32 years to the same woman, that has four kids that are, the, that are their best friends. And you look at that and you go, you know, I, I may be the wealthiest guy. No, not monetarily, but in life. And, and I think God has honored that commitment to, to, to faithfulness because he, he doesn't promise us riches. But he, he does promise us peace. And, and in my life, I, I have great peace. Now, I've been through a lot of firings. I've had a very unique career in, in, in business. But everything I've done has led to something better. 
So you get fired by a company, you get six months severance, and, you know, 30 days later you're working in a better job at a better company. And those types of things have just kind of followed me throughout my career, and I don't know why, but I do know that, that it's all worked together to glorify him, and, and, I, and I couldn't be more thrilled with, with the blessing that my life has had. So, you know, I, I appreciate you giving me a chance to expound on that. Uh, I appreciate you mentioning my daughter's Division One book, which is an incredible novel that you can get on iUniverse. You can get a different bunch of different places. It's available on your iPad, and you can get it on Amazon.com and all that stuff. And most importantly, I appreciate you remembering me as somebody that actually had a career at one point hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> David Magley, head coach of the Brampton A's in the NBL of Canada. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight. It's been great reminiscing with you. Thank you, my friend. David Magley, the head coach of the Brampton A's from the National Basketball League of Canada. They're playing in their playoff game tonight, up 2-1 to one, over the London Lightning in the quarterfinals of the NBL. Our thanks for David joining us here this evening on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Well, we're close to the end of tonight's show, but nonetheless, we want to get into some of the football headlines for the last few days, especially for the Cleveland Browns. They have been very, very busy in the NFL free agency period, which started on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. They've signed Dante Whitner, a former Ohio State graduate, and San Francisco 49er to play safety. Carlos Dansby will take over at the inside linebacker position. Also, they signed Isaiah Trufant today in free agency. He's a backup corner. Tight end Jim Dre from the Arizona Cardinals. He'll be a backup tight end. And they've also signed Bengals wide receiver Andrew Hawkins to a four-year offer sheet. Now, the Bengals will have five days to match that offer sheet. There's some conflicting reports as to whether or not they will. Also, with additions come subtractions. Brandon Whedon and Jason Campbell are now gone from the Browns. Whedon, of course, was a former Oklahoma State standout, and he was cut after only two years of being the Browns' starting quarterback. He completed 56% of his passes for just over 5,100 yards and 23 touchdowns, but he threw 26 interceptions. And to add insult to injury, in a release today by Brandon Whedon, he thanked everyone except for the Browns fans. And Jason Campbell was released after joining the Browns as a free agent last year. Now, these two moves at the quarterback position leaves the Browns with only two quarterbacks, Brian Hoyer coming off the ACL injury, and Alex Tanney, who has not taken a snap in an NFL game ever. Also, Darrell Rivas has gone to the New England Patriots just two years after calling Bill Belichick a jerk, but then again, Revis was paid $12 million to play this year with a club option for $20 million next year. Money talks when it comes to Revis. Steve Smith was cut by the Carolina Panthers on Thursday. Julius Peppers and Devin Hester from the Bears were cut. James Harrison was cut in Cincinnati. So those players are now on the free agent market. And before we go tonight... I've got to let you know that Ryan Braun is back in the news. He obviously is going to be public enemy number one when he goes on the road this year. Just listen to what he had to say. I'd love to play you the clip, but nobody recorded it. I'm sure it will be a bit adventuresome at times this year, but if anything, it's probably better now. Normally, you go to Philadelphia and Chicago, and they're talking about your mom, your sister, your girlfriend, whatever. So now... It will just be about me. I guess that's the best lemonade anyone can make out of lemons that he has caused on his own. And now listen to what his ego has to say. This again from Braun. If I perform like I've always done, I'll be one of the best players in the game. I don't need any added motivation of drama at work. I'll just let my work speak for itself, as every artist should. Well, Ryan, Michelangelo, Van Gogh, Braun, good luck this season being off the juice, and let's see if you're going to be able to carry on the numbers, because if you're not, hell hath no fury like a Milwaukee Brewer fan gone awry. 
And one other quick thing, Irvin Santana's back in baseball. He signed a one-year deal to help out the Atlanta Braves rotation yesterday after the Chris Medlin injury. He signed a one-year contract for $14 million. That's going to do it for tonight's show. So glad you joined us here this evening. Our thanks to David Magley for being our guest here tonight on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Don't forget to join us on Monday night when Mark Donahue and I will be back with another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, 9 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Of course, that music means that it is time for me to go. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, to David Magley once again for being our guest, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. Kick back and get ready for Selection Sunday, everybody. We're going to have a big show next week talking about the big dance. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us. Until next Thursday night at 7 o'clock, have a good week, everyone. Good night. <laughs>